Let's get into Galatians chapter 5. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning that you have sustained us all. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, and feet that want to run with obedience, Father. May your word do a work in us, not craftiness of sermon or presentation or stories, Father, just your word, you coming alive as we read the scriptures. May we walk out of here different, excited, encouraged, renewed, set free. In Jesus' name, amen. And can you turn my microphone down just a little, whatever you need to do so there's less of that reverb bouncing at me. Galatians 5, verse 2, and I'm going to read through 12. You guys should be able to follow along on the screen. If not, you can open up your Bibles. Verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the uh, for through the Spirit we are eager, for through the Spirit we are we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcised nor uncircumcised has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in? On you to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is um, throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish that they, um, they would go the whole way and immense, um, why can I not say this word now? Emasculate themselves. Thank you. Interesting, right? Grace. Paul is saying circumcised and uncircumcised if you've been circumcised. Now, um, if you've been circumcised, there's an issue. And if you haven't been circumcised, there's there's not an issue, right? So what's really going on here? Paul here is giving a strong warning to those who seem to be on the edge of apostasy. Now, apostasy is a strong word that many of us really don't know the true meaning of apostasy. We just think it's a really scary Christian word, but what, which it is, but it's probably not as bad as you think it is, but 
Nevertheless, apostasy in general is defined as a falling away, a withdrawal, uh, a, a withdrawing, a defection, right? So what Paul is concerned with is that those in Galatia are going to withdraw from Christ, that they're going to fall away from Christ. See, in Christianity, apostasy is seen as, yeah, turning away from Christ, turning from faith, turning from trusting in God. So Paul uses strong language here. Why? Because he wants you and I, and he wanted the Galatian church to hear them. And here's the strong language that he says. Is he says, mark my words. He said, listen to me. Listen to what I am saying. He says, this is serious. What he is saying really matters. So that's how he starts his, um, I guess, this next part of his letters. He said, I really want you to listen to me. This really matters. I've heard pastors say this before, don't always agree with it, so I don't really try to ever say it. But pastors, what they say is, um, if, um, if you hear anything today, just hear this. And the reason why I don't like that is essentially what that means is the rest of the hour that you spoke really didn't matter. So why didn't you just save people's time and sh share the 30 seconds or two minutes, right? So what Paul is saying is, look, I really, really, really want you to hear this. Mark my words, this matters. Paul is using any and all of the authority that he has as an apostle to make sure that those in Galatia are listening. Because as we read ahead, it seems apparently clear to me that Paul is highly concerned with those in Galatia and their final destination. So here we go. Let's re read on. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. It's scary. That's scary when I read that. Now, what Paul says here is not to be overlooked. I believe that it has extreme ramifications. So I guess point number one, if you're taking notes, is if we avoid what Paul is saying here, Jesus will be of no value to you and I. So we must not avoid what Paul is saying. He says, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So Paul doesn't exactly explain the benefit at this point, but I believe Paul is pointing to the idea that if they get circumcised, their salvation is on the line. Now, some may be thinking in here, what if I circumcise my kid? It's not by the law. We're going to get to that, right? What if, what if I'm circumcised? 
kind of weird, and I kind of almost blush even saying it. I can see you guys saying, like, did he really go there? I can read some of y'all minds. You're asking if you need to come repent. That would be horrible of me if I said, all of you who need to come up and repent, come repent, nevertheless. So Paul doesn't exactly explain the benefit, right? So I can hear someone thinking right now, isn't the pursuit of not doing works a work within itself? Because Paul's saying, hey, if you go get circumcised, then um, I'm questioning whether apostasy is coming to your life. So then you say, well, isn't the work of not doing works a work? You guys following that? Like, am, am I not working by not working? And that's legalism. Nevertheless, Paul is not saying that you earn favor by not doing works. What Paul was addressing head on is the fact that if they receive the snip, that their thought process, <clears throat> that their connection with God, that their ideology is so far off that he fears for their future. He is saying that he fears that they are not truly connected to Jesus and that their mindset is far off. Why? Because if they went and intentionally got circumcised, what they were following is not grace, they were following law and rules. So Paul is saying, if you are someone who is intentionally now going to go follow rules and law, thinking that that adds to your salvation, I am concerned for you. Amen? The idea, um, yeah, the idea is that Christ would have no value to you at that point. So Paul wasn't calling them to do nothing. He was calling them again to avoid the legalistic perspective. So this idea of Christ having no value to you is to be also translated no profit. And I'll tell you this. I need Christ to be of benefit to me. I need Christ to be a prophet to me when I face God one day. Amen? So Christ will be no prophet to you at all. So this response is also found in Romans 2.25. This idea that Christ would be of no profit. Here's what Paul says. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as those... Um, you have come... I don't know why I can't read today. I'm sorry. Maybe because I'm thinking about the beach. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as those you had You have become as though you had not been circumcised. See, circumcision has no special value. You are either a lawbreaker or you are not. In the same way, Paul is telling the Galatians that if they think that they can find profit or benefit from circumcision, returning to the law, that there's no saving power of Christ with them. To put it in layman's terms, if we intentionally add anything to the work of Christ, 
we cancel our belief in him. If, if I have a bowl of soup up here, and it's soup, and then I take a pizza and I put it in the soup, it's no longer soup, it's disgusting, right? If I take, if I take a bag of dry cement up here, and the bag of dry cement is sitting here, and then I add water to it, it changes its state. What, what Paul is trying to say here is if you add anything to the work of Christ, it's of no benefit to you any longer. We can't add anything to the work of Christ because if you add anything to the recipe of Christ, if you add anything to the recipe of Christ, you're missing the point. If we intentionally add anything to the work of Christ, we cancel our belief in him. Many people try to add to the work of salvation. We've all done it. They make up their own emotional thought process of sanctification and salvation. Thus, if you follow, um, if you follow this perfectly, you will earn rights to heaven. We see this all over the globe. I pick this, I pick that, and salvation becomes a self-justification um, recipe. The recipe to be reconciled to God is simple. One ingredient, Jesus. That's the recipe. That's how we are saved today, Jesus. It is pointless to add Christ to any requirement or steps because grace doesn't work that way. The gospel says that we are saved by faith in Christ alone by trust in Christ alone. Other religions say that we are saved by Christ and maybe penance. Some say that we are saved by Christ, good works, and temple observation. But the fact of the matter is we are saved by Christ alone. So Paul emphasizes now going into verse 3. He says, again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So if we avoid what Paul is saying, we must follow the law perfectly. That's what's going on here. If we avoid what Paul is saying, if we return to the law, we must follow the law perfectly. Paul is fed up with the rival teachers and the show that they were putting on. See, as the rival teachers came in, they were essentially preaching. They knew the secrets to following God. Anyone ever seen those guys on TV or a podcast or Facebook or maybe even locally that we know the secrets, we know the keys to following God. So Paul is fed up with these type of preachers. So if you wanted to make it to heaven or be successful, you must follow the way that these preachers were teaching. See, grace didn't allow them to put on a show. That's what these rival teachers were frustrated with. Grace doesn't allow you to say, follow these steps. So if, if these teachers were preaching grace, that meant that there were no steps to follow except put your faith in Christ. Amen? 
So they come preaching works because works can sell. Works can become tangible. Works can be a one plus one plus one plus one equals four. So then I can sell you the steps to become a better Christian. I can give you the keys to become a better Christian if I sell you works. Make sense? Grace, I can't sell you anything. It's just Christ. So I can't benefit other than uh, us being one family in heaven unless I'm selling works. See, grace didn't allow them to put on a show because grace didn't require the follow, uh, them to follow steps. Works have tangible steps that one can take to do right while grace is one step, Jesus. So works can profit your following while grace can profit your salvation. And Paul is frustrated with these teachers because these teachers are trying to benefit their following more than they're trying to benefit other people's salvation. These false teachers seem to want power in a following more than they wanted truth. So Paul says, look, if you want to return to the Old Testament laws, rules, and guidelines, the only way that that's going to work for you is if you are perfect. We're hearing the same message week after week. They would be in debt to the law. So that means that they would have to make a payment. There'd have to be a payment for their sin. One author says it this way. Putting oneself under the law is a burden because perfect obedience is required to be right with God. Insofar as the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament do not avail now, that Christ has come, the Galatians only hope, the Galatians only hope if they place themselves under the law is to keep every part of it without fail. So how many of you guys want to be circumcised today? None of us. How many of you guys want to return to the law today? None of us. See, today it is impossible for you and I to be saved if we add anything to the work of Christ because a little bit of leaven ruins the whole loaf. Our faith as believers is in Christ alone. Look, it's not gluten-free banana nut bread if you put gluten in it and you put strawberries and other things to it, right? Likewise, we cannot add to the recipe of Christ. It's Christ alone. Amen? Amen. So today, is, it is impossible to be saved if you add to the recipe of Christ. Why? We're going to get to it here in a little bit. But if you add to the recipe of Christ, you're no longer trusting Christ alone. You're trusting Christ himself or Christ and works. So verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, this is scary. This sounds scary. So if we avoid what Paul is saying, we turn our backs on grace. So we must ask the question, is Paul saying we lose our salvation if Christ is no benefit? Because he said that in this verse, Christ is no benefit. Is Paul saying we lose our salvation if we um, have been alienated from Christ? 
is Paul saying we lose our salvation if we have fallen away from grace? And that's where I'm going to pick up in six weeks when I come back from sabbatical. So... It's a complicated question, isn't it? Because right now, there's people in this room, and, and here's, here's the doctrinal, the theological, the one stance that I will never become negotiable on is that Jesus died and resurrected the grave, and he was perfect, and he's the only way to heaven. And a sin is a sin. Amen? He's the only way to heaven. That's... That's what I'm willing to die for. Amen? Anyone else in here willing to die for that? Because what ends up happening is coming in September, we're going to go over the book of Revelation. And while we go over the book of Revelation, there's going to be some doctrinal ideas. There's going to be some Christian worldview ideas that come up about the book of Revelation. And is there a rapture? Is there no rapture? Um, is it pre-trib rapture? Is it post-trib rapture? Is it mid-trip rapture? Does this symbolism represent the U.S.? Does that symbolism represent Russia? There's going to be all these questions, and there's going to be issues that cultivate in us questions and frustrations, which I hope then causes us to ask more questions. Um, we, uh, at our last elders meeting, there was just, as we processed the book of Revelation a little bit more, what we started to recognize is the elders were then having more questions about how the series was going to go. And I'm like, this is perfect. This is what we want in all of our small groups. This is what we want with everyone from church, is we hope that what Sunday does and what small groups do is that cultivate in us challenges to ask people more questions about Scripture. Amen? Point being, if we, um, if, if we avoid what Paul is saying... We turn our backs on grace. So does that mean that we, if we turn our backs on grace, does, if, if Christ is no benefit, have we been, if we've fallen away from grace, does that mean that we lose our salvation? Now, I shared all those four and a half minutes to say this. Doctrinally speaking, some of us in here have been conditioned or have been taught to believe two different things ideas. Some of us in this room believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. And then maybe there's a few of you who believe that you could lose your salvation if possible. There's, there's different ideologies. So let's just stand up and divide each room. Once saved, always savers over here. And then never savers over here. And then we're going to create little subdivisions of pre-trib up front. And we're just going to really isolate ourselves. No, that's not the point. The point here is Based upon your interpretation and the way that you've been raised and the way that you've been trained and the way that you have interpreted Scripture is going to help you interpret this verse. So some of you believe, well, it, since we're once saved, always saved, then Paul could not be talking about our salvation. And then others of you are like, no, Paul could be talking about your salvation. So we will land. Let me just start landing. You guys are like, praise God, thank you. Let me start landing. So it is a complicated question. What I am saying is the way that you have been raised, yes, will help you interpret this. 
So we must first acknowledge that the language Paul is using here does not suggest that they have fallen from grace at this point. The heresy that they had been preached, um, that had been preached to them, has not fully grown up within them yet. Right? He's still urging them to turn from their ways. So it's not as if they're too far gone. In this letter, Paul is exhorting them to resist the false teachers who are not teaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It seems as if Paul is letting them know what will happen if they turn back to the law. Paul is being straightforward. There is no wiggle room here. And here's what he says. They will be alienated from Christ, and Jesus will be of no value to them if they turn to circumcision. It's very explicit. It says Jesus would be of no value to you. Not some value, not a little bit of value, zero value. And the value that I need Jesus for is the value when I face a holy and perfect God, I need the value of Jesus' death and resurrection. Amen? See, the law and circumcision oppose Christ. They each try to earn their way to being justified, which means they are trying to accomplish the work of justification on their own terms instead of fully trusting the work of Jesus on the cross. Paul has stated over and over again that salvation by works is impossible. I know I haven't answered the question yet about losing salvation. I would say that the moment we believe that we must add something to the work of Christ is the moment Christ is of no advantage to us according to Paul's teaching. The moment I have my chili and then I put food poisoning in it, it's no longer chili, it's poison. The moment I have the perfect death and resurrection of Christ, and then I try to add my works to it, what is it? It's now poison. Why? Because my works don't earn my way to heaven. There's one recipe, and it's Christ. Our way to be reconciled to God is through Christ alone. So adding circumcision, rules, or laws is our way of self-justification. It's our way at looking at God and saying, I know what's best. I know how to earn my way. I know what to do. So I'm going to add to it. Which is a piece of why we see in Matthew 7, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me. And they say, out of their self-justification, did we not try to do this work or that work or this work? And Jesus says, plainly, I tell you, I never knew you. So does this mean that yesterday you made a decision and you tried to earn God's favor that you have lost your salvation? Absolutely not. See, circumcision was a very intentional choice and a direction for someone. Amen? See, circumcision wasn't just something that just happened to you. It wasn't just a quick fly-by-night, I want to go get circumcised. What this was was, hey, I'm making an intentional decision 
to go follow works and add to the work of Christ, and that's what I'm going to follow. Now, am I saying that those people who then got circumcised couldn't repent of their sins and come back to Christ? Of course they could. But if within their following of these works, they continue on that path, Christ is of no advantage to them. So I do believe that someone who turns their back on grace and turns to work intentionally will not have the value of the blood of Jesus when we meet God. Law and grace are opposites. The law tries to find righteousness by doing, while grace gives righteousness as a free gift. Amen? You and I get that free gift today. So if we avoid what Paul is saying we lose hope for the future. Uh, that's why I can talk about um, once saved, always saved, the week before I leave. You guys can just forward your emails to Stu. <laughs> I've learned a few things over the years. Are you guys okay with that section? Look, it, it's, I'm not saying people lose their salvation. I'm saying people put their faith in something other than self. And we can keep on going down rabbit trails of rabbit trails of, well, yeah, it's all by the grace of God, and God's grace can still cover them, but I think if we intentionally choose and believe in our hearts and put our faith in self-justification, then Christ is of no advantage to us according to Scripture. I'm going to stick to Scripture and not me trying to make it easy for us today. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Through the Spirit, through the Spirit, through the Spirit, not through works, not through obedience, not through ritual, rather through the Spirit. See, we could even await um, righteousness within our works. See, yeah. But uh, we must do it through the power. Yeah, so we can wait for righteousness. We can hope for righteousness. But um, we must do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Believers are to put their hope in what God has done for us in and through Christ but to look away from ourselves and our works. Um, we need the power of the Spirit to lead us. So through the Spirit, God empowers us to have hope for our future because of Jesus Christ, not because what we can do or have done. One author says it this way, that you and I already have all the righteousness needed for a union with God. And you're like, wait a second, I was in an argument with my kids this morning. I was in an argument with my parents this morning. I was in an argument with my spouse this morning. I sped to church. I fibbed yesterday. I had a covetous thought. How do I have righteousness? Now, we have a problem with that. How do we have righteousness already? Well, it's a declarative righteousness, right? Now, yeah, we have a problem within our thinking because we don't see righteousness within us. We see sin. 
This is because we measure righteousness by works rather than faith. Yet believers are already declaratively righteous because Christ has made them a new creation and lives in them through the Spirit. This has happened through the Spirit, not your works. So the pure righteousness is hidden from the world and to us an extent because it is a gift by faith. So declaratively, from God, we are seeing righteousness because we put our faith in him. Yet in the last days, because the world doesn't see it, all of our righteousness will be revealed. So there's this declarative state that if we put our faith in Christ, that we are righteous with him. Amen? So Paul proceeds to admonish them. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So when you're in Christ, it doesn't matter what works you have done. Keeping law does not bring us closer to sanctification whether we are circumcised or not, whether we are abstaining from certain foods or not, whether we are observing certain festivals, days, or rest, or anything like that, whatever it may be, these things are not a path to righteousness. So rhetorically speaking, what are you pursuing each day in your life that you think is adding to your righteousness, to your sanctification. We always bring it up, but is it paying it forward? Is it talking to every person that you see about God? What are we doing that we think that's adding to the work of Christ? So Paul continues, and he says, look, you were running a good race. Who cut in uh, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So you were headed in the right direction. You were on pace. Who cut in? Who stopped you? Why do you, why do you turn off? The church of Galatia was doing a good job. So Paul says, how could you be knocked off course? What turned you from grace to works? Who taught you that works added to your case before God? Who got in the way of running through the finish line strong? And a lot of times, you are who you hang out with. Uh, many philosophers in the modern world say that you're the sum of the top five people that you hang out with. So who are the top five people that you hang out with? People say if you hang out with billionaires, you will certainly be a millionaire. Like, how could you hang out with billionaires every day and not learn from the advice that they have in their sequences of things that they do each day and not become a millionaire, right? Or people say, if you hang out with um, people who work out at the gym, the top five people that you hang out with, they go to the gym every day. Eventually, you're going to start working out. So what the Galatian church was doing is the Galatian church ended up 
hanging out with and receiving more people that were preaching works than they were grace. And because they were hanging out with them more often, they began to believe what they were teaching. It's really hard to be the thermostat within the room. And actually, that's what Christ calls us to be. He tells us to be the salt and the light in the world. Amen? But sometimes it's really hard to be in the environments that we're in and say, I'm going to change the temperature of this room. So with all these false teachers coming in, with all these false preachers in the Galatian church, it felt as if the Galatian church, it was easier or the path of least resistance to stand up for what was truth. And go, it was easier for them to go along with things than to stand up for truth. So Paul says, you are running a good race. Who got in your way? Verse 8 See, that kind of persuasion does not come from God, from the one who calls you. He says, the things that you are being taught didn't and don't come from God. See, and that's not easy to say, and it's really hard to hear. The Galatian church was not intentionally rebelling and saying, I'm going my own way with God. They weren't saying, I'm going to make up my own rules with God. The Galatian church, I believe, was being sincere in their attempt to follow God. And I would say that many of you and I today, that you and I are being sincere. How many of you feel like you're being sincere in your faith today, raising your hand? Yeah, I feel like I'm being sincere. But imagine if some leader or elder came to you and said, hey, look, you may be sincere in your faith, but you're wrong. That would really hurt, wouldn't it? In this, in this world, y'all would probably leave the church. <laughs> Come on, somebody. How many of you guys would leave the church? I mean, all right. How many of you guys would not leave the church if I came and told you that you were doing it wrong? All right, we, we got a couple that wouldn't. The rest of you, I guess I can't, we can't have real conversation about Christ then. Dave, I'm coming for you. I'm kidding. So Paul comes with a strong word. And he says, look, you were running a good race. This kind of persuasion does not come from God or from the one who calls you. So why are you following this? What you are doing is not biblical, he's saying. And he continues. He says, a little bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough. A little bit of this kind of belief will greatly affect your life. A little bit of this kind of belief will greatly affect the church. A little bit of this kind of belief will ruin the whole dough. A little bit of yeast will ruin the whole loaf. Not only does it affect your life, but it will affect the whole church. And Paul says, stop it right now. Stop thinking that you can add to the work of Christ. Avoid it. If we keep on allowing this influence within the church, it will destroy it. You will not have a church anymore, any longer. And I'm not talking about, like, you still might have a gathering, but you don't have a church. 
I believe that there's social gatherings all over the world. But a church means that you're going to preach God's word and you're going to stick to it. Amen? One amen. Verse 10. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who was throwing you into confusion, whoever that, whoever that may be, will pay the penalty. Those who add to the cross one day will face penalty. Scary. Verse 11. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And the case of the offense of the cross has been abolished. Paul says here that he is being persecuted because he preaches Christ and the cross, cross without circumcision. They are not mad at him for preaching Jesus. They are mad at him because he's not preaching circumcision. They are mad at him because they want to add to how you earn righteousness. And that's why he remained a stumbling block to them. See, it was G Jews were preaching Jesus, but Jews were also preaching Jesus and. Verse 12, for us to wrap it up. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's strong language. So we're talking about circumcision here. And smart aleck, Paul comes in and says, I just wish they cut the whole thing off. <laughs> Not my words. Y'all are free to laugh. <laughs> Paul is so mad, he says, just go cut the whole thing off. Now, some of you are justifying your anger right now. Some of you are justifying your words right now. Contextually, that's not what's being preached here, and you can't use that to justify your anger. Contextually, what Paul is saying is Paul uses significantly strong language here for those who are preaching Jesus plus something else. See, he does this because he wants the best for them. He does this because he wants you and I to know today that legalism and works has no place in the kingdom. He's like, if they're going to be that silly to preach circumcision, just go tell them to cut the whole thing off and we'll be done with it because that's how crazy it is. They are highly, or this is a highly contagious seed of Satan. Works and legalism within the church is a seed of Satan. It's highly contagious. It is taken away from our joy. It is taken away from our, our liberties. It is taken away from our peace. It is taken away from our hope. It has put us under bondage. It disrupts the Spirit's work within us and through us. And it distracts us. Works and circumcision and legalism distract us. And a little bit of that can ruin the whole church.
Legalism tries to steal from the work and the holiness of the cross. Amen? So Paul is frustrated with those in Galatia, and he says, look, if you pursue works, if you pursue circumcision, Christ is of no value to you. Legalism will steal from the holiness or tries to steal from the holiness of the cross. Steals from our freedom. And I just recognize that the church's freedom has been stolen. Unintentionally, as we went through um, James, I feel like <laughs> people's freedom felt like it was being stolen. Our freedom was not being stolen. The book of James and the book of Galatians go hand in hand perfectly. And we're going to hear, um, we're going to hear how Paul calls us to, to work here in the next chapter, or latter half of this, he's going to call us to something. So we're not calling you to be lazy. We're not calling you to um, sit at home and never serve Christ. We're not calling you to ever justify anything in your life. What good does you justifying anything do? I don't stand behind my justification. I stand behind Christ's justification. Amen? So if we have to find ourselves defending ourselves to the church or defending ourselves to people, then we're not standing behind the right justification. Our justification comes from Christ. Nevertheless, as we wrap up today, um, I just wanted to pray for those who are dealing with the weight and the burden of sin, the weight of um, the lack of joy the lack of liberty, the lack of peace, the lack of hope. Those who are under bondage today. So let's close our eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, I know that um, each day there's a tendency for us to try to add to your work. I thank you that um, you're teaching us more about that as a church. I pray that you would take off, take off that heavy yoke, Father, because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Father, may that not take away from our seriousness, from our urgency, from our pursuit. But I ask that none of us in here would add to the recipe that you created, and that recipe was Jesus death and resurrection. So may we look to that alone this week. In Jesus' name, amen.